Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of your favorite podcast that you listen to in your daily lives. Uh, this one is called Teen It Up with CNB. I'm your host, Connor, as always, with my co-host, Vladdy, uh, delivering another great weekend of sports, possibly one of the greatest of the year, to be honest. Um, what's going on, man? How's life? How have you been since we last spoke? Been well. Um had a uh, I had a short week, but not one of the uh, not one of the ones where our company was off. I took Friday off. was was in Chicago uh, visiting some friends for their birthday. We had a great time out there. Obviously, centered around basketball, like you mentioned, probably the greatest four day stretch of just nonstop noon to midnight basketball at all times. Um, it, it was great. Um, back to work two days half my week's already gone by you don't have work friday so we have we actually have we actually have a basketball game to look forward to in the second weekend yep. that's huge we don't do that very often anymore so i'm excited um what about you how have you been in the last week uh i'm good i uh, finished up spring break last week uh rolling back into um the final stretch of classes here i think we have um three and a half more weeks of classes and then finals um so that's nice I will say March Madness is the greatest thing ever. Uh, that it being my spring break, it pretty much consumed my life Thursday through Sunday. Um, and I went back Monday morning and I did some work over the break, not a ton, but did what I needed to. Uh, and I went back pretty hard into it uh, for a normal Monday for me. And my brain just felt like mush. Turns out watching, just sitting on the couch watching basketball and only comprehending how many unders have hit. This has just <laughs> been the tournament of unders. Um, but turns out that being the only kind of formulations of thought going in your brain for four straight days doesn't exactly uh, coincide with being able to read, as I've found out these past two days. Um, so it's been a hard adjustment to come back after um, – the, the brain fog that is March Madness. It's just the a combination of a you're not doing anything physical. B it's just long. I mean, it's twelve hours of basketball a day essentially. Uh, and then C, I already forgot what my C. Oh, C is just the constant stimulation of it all, especially Thursday and Friday when you have even. I mean, even Saturday and Sunday are the same way to a certain extent, but Friday or Thursday and Friday are just four games at once, five games at once. You're constantly flipping channels. I had my iPad on. I had the TV on. I was flipping in between games for both of them. And just that overstimulation, I don't think uh, necessarily is the best for your brain sometimes. So, <laughs> Well, before we get into the tournament, I know there was uh, two nights ago now, kind of the, the – I think what will end up probably being the last of the Lions' big free agent signings. Yeah. Um, was kind of came out of nowhere, you know, kind of that initial hype of a week and a half ago or two weeks or whenever that was, that tampering Monday that they call it, the, that that hype had kind of died down. And I, I think I know we were sitting there with a bunch of friends and you, you get the text and it's like, Lions have signed C.J. Gardner-Johnson, best remaining defensive free agent. It's like, yeah. you're like, you kind of for, almost forget that the guy was a free agent. I mean, it was a great pickup. Um, he was one of the guys that at the start of all of it, I wanted before anyone else. I think he's versatile, um, whether it be safety, nickelback. He, he's a fantastic player. So it was just great pickup for the Lions. He's done so much for him. I'll kind of turn it over to you a little. And then I think I've got a little bit more to add about how that how we can kind of go forward now as, as a team. Yeah, and at a reasonable price too. I know it's a one-year deal, one year at eight million. I believe six and a half of it is guaranteed. Um, I mean, you're looking at a guy that is legit, like you said, a versatile, a number one safety when he needs to be in the nickel spot. He can play multiple spots in that defense. And you were talking. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Was the last week we talked about free agency or the week? Probably, before? probably last week. I think it was last week. week. Uh, and we said yes. They they made improvements and they got a couple guys that are going to be um, solid pieces, you know, that were probably number twos on good teams, but you have, you add two of them. You hope Okuda can be them, be that too. That that's, that's it's more bodies that can play at the NFL level. Something the Lions haven't necessarily had the luxury of having. And then you go out and sign pretty late again, a name that like 
kind of escaped, I think, because he didn't go kind of in that early 10-day slot, and it was kind of in this these later days of free agency, and that you – I forgot his name. I forgot he was – a free agent, although it makes sense because every Eagle has, is a free agent this offseason. Um, but you, like you said, it's one of those ones where you're like, you just smile and you go, Brad Holmes is doing it again, baby. Uh, I, I, With that being said, I, I'm a little like curious, I guess is the word I would use, as to like the one-year nature of the deal, why that is, is there, it's not age. He's only 25 years old. Um, I don't think it's injury. I mean, he played in the Super Bowl. Like, so what is that? Is that like uh, him just kind of using us as we were the best offer for this year and then he's setting himself up to, whether it's with Detroit or not with Detroit, to get a long-term deal next year? Um, I, I don't know. I'm a little I think curious. That's, well I think it might be the, I think it might be the money. I think maybe he was chasing a Jesse Bates deal, 15, 16 million a year. Maybe not quite that much, but I think he was chasing something that maybe he didn't he didn't receive enough interest or didn't receive the contract or maybe term length that he wanted. And so it's hey, I'll take one more prove it deal. Um I'll I'll go to a team that's kind of built right, built to win. Obviously everyone looks better when they're winning, so it's it's phenomenal thing. He said eight million is an incredibly reasonable price for him. It's something yeah. which is nice because if if he plays outstanding for us, I mean, we can re-sign him in, in in during the season, and he might not even hit free agency, depending on how well he does and what his price is. This is nice because it kind of gives us that first dibs, right, of first refusal on him. Um, it's interesting, I mean, plays primarily as a safety, and so with Tracy Walker and Kirby Joseph already there, um, you, I mean, one of them will take a backseat role. Yeah. Um, if if I mean if one of them has to, I hope it's Tracy Walker. I think Kirby Joseph showed a lot after Walker got hurt, and he's only going to get better second year player. So, and 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 that's when he's not in the and that's when he's not playing nickel corner. Obviously, when he is playing nickel corner, you can have both of them out there. But right. it's it kind of, in my opinion, completes. I mean, if there's more deals to come, Jesus Christ, what is Brad <laughs> Holmes cooking? But um. I just think that kind of completes an absolute masterclass free agency, good players, upgrading positions, upgrading needs, and not doing it for any absurd prices. That's kind of the key where you're picking up guys that are going to help you. You're picking up deals that are not financially crippling in the short or the long term. And so it's just been – they've kind of addressed – most of what they need to do, I, I do still think we we said this a lot uh, right after the season. The front seven still needs help, but that's what you have draft picks mm-hmm. for, especially at six. So I expect that'll be that that to be addressed. Um, no, I mean it's great. I mean, no more corner at six BS. No more people saying, "Oh, Christian Gonzalez, he played at Oregon." It's like cool. He's a corner. And there is no clear-cut number one corner in this year's class, so you you cannot take a corner at six if that's the case. Um, I think. I mean, I think this really opens up Lions' possibilities for the draft. I, I'd kind of written a little bit more here, and I feel like I'm probably going to save it for a later episode as we get close, okay. closer and closer to the end of April. But I mean, they can do whatever they want, and it's something where. Before we used to be able to go wherever we want just because our team sucked in every single area, and it's like, well, right. it's like, yeah, we're the best player available because we have to. Because yeah, there, no there's no fun. chance he plays a position we already have, we already have filled because we don't have any positions filled. So now it's it's cool to be able to have so many different combinations, whether it's trading up, whether it's taking quarterback if that happens, whether it's just taking picks on the front seven, trading down receivers, tight ends. I mean. You've heard so much. You're going to continue to hear so much. And it's just nice to be in that position where that is that is a case out of abundance of talent as opposed to lack of talent. Right. Um, I definitely I, I, I agree with the, uh, the the opens up draft possibilities or actually I actually personally like it opens it up. But at the same time, it narrows it down to me. It's pretty clear. Your choice is pretty clearly. I, I mean, at six, I'd like a another edge rusher personally. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. You know, Jalen Carter falling. Hopefully, maybe. Oh, um, Carter will probably be there after the pro day and the the legal troubles. He'll probably be there at six. 
then I, that's our guy in my opinion. I, I, I agree. Um, now maybe he doesn't fit the culture, and I know that's something they've preached, so maybe they have to go another way. But yeah, but you, we've preached that, and then like the Jamal Williams, like we talked about Jamal Williams and how. Uh, if you really felt he was going to be an integral piece of the locker room as you kind of have high expectations this year, then you keep him. Um, clearly they didn't, they, or they didn't in their balancing test feel that that was worth keeping him. I didn't see what the actual number he got was. Um, so the, I, I'm going to talk off the top of my head because I don't remember the exact details, but he, from what I was, from what I read, there were rumors that his agent turned down the same deal that the Lions offered David Montgomery, mm. hoping that he would get something better elsewhere. And then he ended up signing for less in New Orleans. Mm. So I I don't know. If, yeah. yeah I mean, yes, it's bad age, but at the same time, what agent goes rogue like that and doesn't talk to his player about what's going on. So right. that's got to be a combination of agent took a gamble and maybe Jamal just wanted to gamble a little bit more on himself. And I mean, He's allowed to do that. It's it's going to be his last big contract in the NFL, most likely. So go go get your money. Um, it is what it is. But David Montgomery, a name we did not bring up actually last week in the free agency. I think that's happened since then. Um, did you have any thoughts on David Montgomery adding him to the uh, running back locker room? I mean, he's a better player than Jamal Williams. Um, I think. I mean, we might have mentioned this, but yeah, he's certainly a better player than Jamal Williams. Um, Runs a little better, can catch passes. Um, my so it issue helps there. What? My issue is just you're right, but he's, uh, in my opinion, you say catch pass catcher um, has also had injury issues and is very similar to Swift and not only the way he plays but those injury issues. I mean, for me, my issue is if he was so good, Chicago would have brought him back and not said, "Hey, Khalil Herbert's my starter." And my other issue is I just don't value the running back position. So right. I didn't I didn't necessarily understand the move from a team building stance. But like if we're talking individual player for player, he is a better player than Jamal Williams. So maybe this means the Lions are still looking for a late round running back. This is obviously the draft to do so because there's going to be a million of them. Who knows what will happen there. But I don't know. Uh I think we can go more in depth in this stuff because I, I do have a lot about the draft and then what's going to happen six eighteen. But let's get into March Madness because that's kind of the that's the, that's the that's the big one. That's the madness section of the podcast. Um, just off the cuff thoughts you have on March Madness. Uh, I mean, if we're gonna combine everything I saw from the first weekend, I'll just kind of keep it to the team that we actually emotionally invested in. It oh, is start, so cool. You want to start there? I mean, I was just gonna say it's so cool to actually like show up at the end after the first weekend on a Monday and have something to look forward to, as opposed to just oh well, yeah, let's go, let's go watch the one seed kick the shit out of the sixteen seed, or oh look at that, look at that Cinderella. It's nice to say, hey, I'm looking at this specific matchup. We can take advantage of this, or they can hurt us here. It's it's so cool having some emotional investment later on and very happy. It's, to Michigan It's State cool to have something to overanalyze. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I think we did talk about it. We were certainly given the best draw we possibly could have gotten a California team in Ohio. And then, yeah. and then probably the weeks, the two seeds. Yes. I'd agree with the Marquette was a favorable matchup and the West coast factor um, of basically playing a home game against USC I'd say as far as a team, USC was probably the best 10 seed. Maybe Penn State. I like it. Maybe Penn State. I mean, Penn State might have been the hottest team. I just know that, like, what I watched that USC game, and I guess we might as well get into it right now. Um, USC didn't look that good. I mean, throughout the first half, they, they looked so out of control just jacking up wild shots. I mean, we couldn't, I may, I mean, I don't maybe couldn't isn't the right word because as I learned later on, maybe it was a wouldn't they, we gave them probably 15 open looks and they bricked all of them. And then it came out that they were one of the five worst shooting teams in division one from the, from behind the three point line. So maybe that was a design by Izzo. It's just, Hey, they, they're going to beat us with the three. Yeah. They're going to beat us with the three. So be it collapse on anything down low. I actually, like, 
when I look at that game, I don't think USC was that good. Now, maybe that just that says a lot about the 10 seeds, but I just was like, wow. Um, they they just they never really looked like they got a foothold in the game. I don't know. Yeah. Well, looking at the other 10 seeds, uh, Boise State. West uh, team, can't trust them. Not, yeah, the next question. Uh, Utah State. Is that a Mountain West team as well? Yeah, I think so. Uh, again, like the best, supposed to be the best three-pointing shooting team in like the country, basically. Oh yeah, and they went like two of a hundred. Yeah, they went. They struggled against Missouri to shoot the three. Uh, and then the fourth one is Penn State, who obviously had the nice upset, even more of an upset considering probably than the seeds probably showed. Yeah. Um, and that that's a name that uh, is it Anthony or Andrew Funk. Uh, that's one of those college basketball names where you hear in 10 years and you go, oh, yeah, I remember when he did that. Uh, he went eight for 10 for three uh, against Texas A&M in that game. Yeah. Um, turns out they he tried to dribble a little bit in the Texas game on Saturday night, and uh, turns out he is strictly a catch and shooter. Uh, similar uh, to we've got, we've got one of those Hunter. on our team. Yeah, yep. there you go. Uh, yeah, so – I guess we kind of went over the first Michigan State game, but let's get into like the actual days. I think that's probably the best way to organize this. So Thursday, uh, biggest storylines from Thursday. Uh, I guess the first storyline I'll say is the one that hurt me the most was Arizona and Princeton. Yeah, Arizona was my national champion. Uh, they lost to Princeton, and the bracket app was deleted from my phone. <laughs> uh, about four hours after the tournament tipped off, that was uh, really disappointing. <laughs> I, I my we're not even to the second weekend, and mine is also deleted, so I can't really say much more. I did last a couple more days than you. Uh, I I mean I don't know what to say about Arizona at this point. One, I mean uh, Princeton in the Sweet Sixteen. Now we'll get into it later. Uh, it's becoming a thing every year that a 15 seed has to do this now. I know it's kind of the parody of the tournament and we can talk about that at the end, um, but they are a much better. They look like an actual good 15 seed. Like I, I'm not so sure I believed in St. Peter's that much as an actual team, as opposed to the fairy tale run of it all. Uh, this Princeton team, they look like they're a substantial threat. Um, they're only the third Ivy League team to ever make the Sweet 16. Um, As far as Arizona, I'm going to say this probably about seven for about seven teams. uh, As we go through this analysis, Arizona perpetual chokers. It's just kind of their thing last year. One seed. I don't even think they, I believe they may lost in the Sweet 16 last year. Uh, haven't made it to an elite eight in God knows how long uh, have consistently been at the top of the pac 12 for the last decade now, and really have not been in my memory in any final fours. So it's one of those programs I'll say, like I said, you're going to, if you're listening to this, you're going to say, why does he keep saying the same thing? Everyone can't be a choker. Well, only one team wins out of 64. So 63 of them, technically speaking, are chokers. Arizona has a program chokers the last one i want to say also from chokers because i think this is kind of the last game of thursday was the single stupidest bonehead decision i've I've seen uh i was still at work watching this so uh i guess it was it was a little you couldn't really react as maybe as you wanted to but Furman, virginia virginia up by what three with five up by three with 30 seconds left they start Mm -hmm. They start doing Virginia things. They do Tony Bennett things. Um, and then the, the the guard with a timeout with a teammate right next to him with five seconds left on the clock just threw the ball like it's Magic Johnson in the 90s trying to run out the clock. Magic Johnson threw it with about half a second left. Caught by Furman. As soon as, as, soon as he passed it to his, uh, to his kind of teammate, you kind of knew it's like, hey, um, this is – this is written in the stars. This is going to go in, and Virginia's going to get knocked out. Yeah, that was an absurd play, and I had Furman in my bracket. And uh, I was watching it not confined by the corporate America standards of how to act. Um, oh, dude, when he threw the ball up, I got out of my seat, and when he just an absolute splash job for three, 
I got out of my seat. I I screamed. My mom was freaking making lunch with their AirPods in. She goes, what's wrong? I go, you're not going to believe what just happened. Uh, an all-ACC guard from Virginia just decided to chuck the ball down the court to let a 13 seed win the game. Now, uh, I will skip ahead to Saturday. They, unfortunately, that Furman team, was uh, that was just a perpetual uh, upset because they looked horrible uh, against San Diego State. Um, as far as Virginia goes, you can't – like. I want to severely say perpetual chokers because let me let me read off the last uh, four seasons. What's all right? Virginia basketball. I'm going to read off the last four seasons for you. Virginia basketball. Sorry, Google. I didn't have this googled up. I I didn't know I was going to go this way. I mean. We what would we go? UMBC national title. I think it was Ohio, and then this. I think you're. Yeah, you got it. In that order. So yeah, they go. They go first round loss, UMBC. They go national champion. Canceled twenty twenty, and they go. You're right. First round to Ohio as a one seed. Again, or no, sorry, one seed. I think they were a four seed. Um, yeah. And then again, this year as a four seed. So, and I think that's uh, kind of the Tony Bennett style of, uh, I just think it's kind of outdated for today's basketball. Um, it's, slow, it's monotical, if that's even a word. Uh, it bores you to sleep. And it's, it does a good job of him not having you know, one and done talent that they can play with anybody. Unfortunately, the other side of that is I think anybody can play with you. And when you you're playing an inferior opponent, it allows them to stay in the game for longer. And I think that's kind of why um, they've been so prone to these upsets, but you can't like as bad as that is. And it's worse in Arizona who I just called a choker. They have a national championship in there. So. Oh, absolutely. Um yeah, go. I mean, going to Friday. I think Friday. There's only really, in my opinion, one and a half talking points. I just want to note Pitt just because they started out on that. It was twenty four to two run. Yeah, and then Iowa held, State decided not to score. Yeah, and I, they held Iowa State to forty one points. And I was just kind of saying, if you're going to average a point a minute in a basketball game in two thousand and twenty three, you should be banned from next year's tournament. Just slightly throwing that out there, but I will say, as far as Thursday. Uh, on the no scoring streak, Oral Roberts had a similar story. That game against Duke, they were hyped up to be this uh, potential underdog seed. The game started off eighteen to zero, and six minutes into the game, so I think it was nine minutes into the game, Oral Roberts got their first basket. Yeah, I mean, Oral Roberts's issue was they ran into the one five seed they didn't want to run into. Um, they ran into a lot of taller players. That's what happened. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of tall players and short players, uh, what in my opinion is the best upset <laughs> in Cal or mid March Madness history? Um, Fairly Dickinson against Purdue. Um, what team do we want to do? We want to start talking about Purdue or start talking about Fairly Dickinson? I just want to rip on Purdue really badly. Your audio sounds like you're underwater. Um, How about now? Better. I think I have my hand on the mic. Yeah, that'll do it. Uh, sorry, we're we're new at this, even though we've been doing this for almost a year. <laughs> All right, rip on Purdue. Go for it. Purdue, the ultimate perpetual choker in Connor's list of chokers. Matt Painter, I mean, I don't want to talk about a seat that's hot because I think we could talk about Jan Kel Perry when we get to Sunday, but Matt Painter's seat has to be hot. This team does nothing. They've lost in the last two years. They've lost to a 15 seed and a 16 seed. Um, there's no excuse. Um, you have a seven foot four player against the smallest team in Division One basketball. Yep. And you still can't find a way to find a matchup that can get you a win. It's unacceptable. I wa- I can't say I'm like crazy surprised, even though this Fairleigh Dickinson is like literally one of the worst 16 seeds ever. Uh, 
because of how bad like Purdue was just kind of felt off all year. I mean, they weren't uh, ranked to start the season. Uh, they got hot, beat, had a couple good non-conference wins, played everybody close in the Big Ten, and then at the end of the year kind of fell off. I think they lost three of their last five or something like that, three of their last six or something like that. Uh, went from one, two in the country to barely a one seed. Um, so I kind of always had it in my head that they were a fraud. They were real. They're really young, believe it or not. And Zach Eady's really the only upperclassman that plays a ton of minutes. Both those guards are young. Um, obviously, uh, Foster Lawyer's twin is a freshman. So, I mean, I guess the expectation was exceeded going into the year. But as far as an upset goes, you, you said it best, the best upset in NCAA March Madness history. And it comes at the expense of a seven foot four Zach Eady, who will be back and causing havoc of three second violations in the Big Ten next year. So, yeah, the only thing I want to add on their side is um, Purdue is one of those teams which always is going to start unranked and then they're going to use that seven foot tall behemoth that they always have for the first two months of the year. And they're going to win games and jump into the rankings and climb high into the rankings. And then people are going to look at tape and realize, where can I attack this guy? How can I go at him? How can I defend him? What can I do? And then Purdue falls off a cliff. It's kind of, that's kind of just the the mantra. Um, There is no plan B. It's throw it to the big guy. It's like, it's kicking and screaming. It's like, pass it to the Italians. I mean, (laughs) It can only get you so far once the other people realize that you want to pass it to the Italians and the Italians only. Um, on on Fairleigh Dickinson's side, yeah, best upset ever. Um, they actually didn't even win their conference title. The only reason Crazy. they made it is the only reason they made it is because Merrimack was ineligible last year. They were four and twenty-two, and their average height you mentioned was six foot three on that team for a. They have a guy who's taller than the average height by a foot, and they couldn't they couldn't figure something out. That was that was insane, and it's just it's classic Purdue. I mean, I don't know. It's that. classic Purdue, and I will Tobin Anderson, the Farley Dickinson's coach. I will give him a compliment in that he had a game. He said it before in the playing game. He said afterwards that he's seen Purdue and he thinks that they do have a chance. Um, he had a game plan, and he said, well. Listen, these guards, they've been relatively inconsistent offensively. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're just going to go versus travel uh, freaking Zach Eady uh, mm-hmm. down low, but with a bunch of small people on a, on the big guy, uh, and let the guards beat us. And it worked out. Yep. Move on to Saturday. Saturday was actually a great day of basketball. I want to start with Duke and Tennessee. Uh, I think te- Duke was a slight favorite. One of the better – uh, round of 32 matchups, I think, program-wise and just talent-wise. Yeah. Um, I think you just kind of saw in that one what an older, more physical and mature Tennessee team can do. Obviously, Duke um, underperformed expectations this year, but at the same time, started four freshmen. I think they played five of, the, five of their nine players in their rotation were freshmen. Um, and dealt with a lot of foul trouble in that game while getting just absolutely bullied. And Rick Barnes loves to play those kinds of games, those low scoring physical games. Um, he doesn't like to win tournament games, but when you let him play the way that his team wants to play, then, you know, good things are going to happen for a blind squirrel finds a nut, so to speak. Um, yeah. uh, their game plan was basically just to elbow Filipowski in the face until he didn't have like facial features anymore. The man was <laughs> bleeding all over the place. Um, as far as them being in Michigan State's bracket moving forward, they still don't scare me. I think the it's Viscaz, this 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 something that starts with a V. He's their best player. I don't think he's that good. He's a hot and cold shooter. He hogs the ball a little too much, um, holds on to the ball. I think we'd be fine with a guy like that. We Our trouble with them it would be down low. They have two big guys that play really physical uh, and can score. Uh, and we ne- not haven't necessarily seen that in the tournament yet. Um, so that's that game. Um, I, did you want to add anything to that game? No, no. I mean, I I was kind of on a bar crawl Saturday, so I missed some of uh, some of the action. I, I caught I caught Arkansas Kansas. That I was actually happened to be in a Kansas dedicated bar in Chicago yeah. as uh, as Kansas kind of blew it. Um, 
Probably the best game of the tournament, I think, that game. Yes, in terms of back and forth, you mean you had a moment where Kansas looked they might be pulling away and then they went flat for a bit. Arkansas got back into it and then it was neck and neck the entire way. Yeah, um, not even that, though. Like, Kansas, yeah, it was close. Kansas was up the entire game. And they, like you said, they went on a run. They were up by, I want to say, 11 or 12. And then I'll let you finish. Yeah, uh, they went They went cold. Arkansas got back into it. Um, the The mood in the bar started getting a little, you could kind of feel the tension. And then at the end, you could no longer feel the tension. You could feel the tears. You're, you, I was watching a lot of people with flipping the bird to uh, Eric Musselman uh, with his shirt off. Oh, that's right. That yeah, that was the moment moment of the tournament so far. You got a head coach, like a fifty five year old man, in the stands twirling his shirt like shredded, no less. Look, oh, like, that's yes. to have oh, his yes. shirt off. That was no, that was no. Uh, I'm trying Bruce to think Pearl. of like a notorious fat coach. Bruce Pearl, sure. <laughs> was no Bruce Pearl, but that was that was a great game to watch. I mean. I don't really have too much to note on the other ones. It's I mean, Princeton continued their their good run where they. I do want to add Missouri. something to the Kansas game. Uh, I think it went unmentioned is arguably what cost of the, cost them the game uh, was a nonchalant with I believe like two minutes left, ten second violation with no press. With I no yeah. press. That. In another game I'll talk about in a bit on that day are two of the most bonehead plays of the tournament besides the Virginia play. Go on. You said there's another game from Saturday? Oh, there's another one. Another bonehead play that pretty much cost them the game was Penn State trying to pull off an upset against Texas, trying to do something for the Big Ten. Texas looks great, by the way. Just athletes all over the floor. Um, But, Again, Penn State losing pretty much the whole game, kind of stayed in the like the four to ten range. So they were never out of it. And then all of a sudden they come chomping back in. And I believe they got it to down three with uh, a couple minutes left. Unsolicited over the back. Nobody near him just threw it back to the point guard for no reason. Nonchalant. No reason at all to do it. I think I said that already. Cost them. Texas goes down, scores. Now they're down five with a minute left, and it's over. Yeah, um, yeah, it would have been cool to see another Big Ten rep in the uh, the Sweet Sixteen with us. I mean, especially Penn State, one of those which they make one tournament a run per decade. So yeah, sorry, sorry that those guys' tournament ended, but yeah, I don't have too much more. I mean, on Sunday, do we want to leave the MSU game for last, just because? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did want to add a uh, team we haven't mentioned yet, one seed in there. Um, Houston played Northern Kentucky uh, Thursday, I believe, down to the wire. They pulled away in the last two minutes of free throws to make it look a little worse than it was. This was a five to three to five point game the entire game, pretty much. Um, they looked they looked sketchy. I know they had a lot of foul trouble. They had the two good guards. Um Sheed and Sass something. They both start with S's. Um, and then Auburn, down by 10 at the half. And then Auburn, I think, scored like 10 points in the second half or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> um, so all-time choke job by Auburn. Not really a choke job because uh, they were a nine <laughs> seed playing a one seed. But um, we th- I thought for a second there on sat- that it would be Saturday night and we would have three one seeds gone already. Um, good on them to turn it around good comeback they do look like they're uh not necessarily like rolling but they look like they're a tough out as they should be they're a one seed seed um so yeah let's get into sunday sunday i mean first game i mean f yeah i'll just i'll start with fairly dickinson and fau this is one of the more entertaining games i've watched just because like it's two teams who are just happy to be there um the crowd was electric the back and forth blows in the second half were great you, you were just kind of watching some points get put up. Um, Fairly Dickinson made it close right at the end, and then FAU pulled away. And that, the only reason I even noted this game outside of the uh, – 16 uh, seed. Yeah, of the fact that it's a 16 seed, and because it was funny to watch, was at the end you had an FAU player after FDU decided to stop following. They kind of conceded defeat. 
you had an FAU player grab the ball, go down the court and try some windmill 360 between the legs, behind the back, some kind of showboating dunk. He, I didn't see thankfully, that. He, thankfully, he clanked it. Uh, he bricked it, and the ball basically went out of bounds, and the crowd booed him. And I thought it was just kind of a bad look. Um, I understand, like, look, you're FAU. You're not really some basketball powerhouse, so maybe it is. You're, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to continue my run. But you're playing a 16 seed, and the game's over. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, I just thought that was a bad look from from FAU's perspective. Kind of, there were some words exchanged between players and coaches afterwards, rightfully so. Um, I'd love to say hopefully FAU loses for that, but I'd rather have them beat Tennessee and have us play them because it's an e- probably an easier matchup. Yeah, uh, FAU is an interesting one though because they are, like you said, a team that's happy to be there. Um, they went like thirty-one and three. Yes, uh, they're and they currently thirty-three and three. Right, and a nine seed in a bad conference, so they're clearly a talented team. Um, they got every single whistle possible against Memphis, but we, we, we've moved on from from Saturday <laughs> or from Friday. Uh, Kentucky, Kansas State. I mean, I think we should mention this one too. Obviously, Michigan State's going to play Kansas State. Um, great, another great game. Back to the wire. Uh, felt like Oscar Shibley was going to get it done. Again, Kentucky kind of looked like for the second year in a row, they didn't really have anything around Oscar Shibway. Um, and Kansas State is one of those teams that they get ba- they can get baskets when uh, it's needed. It's similar to kind of the run Michigan State's been on the last two, two games so far uh, in that they not necessarily are the most talented teams, but they just find a way to score uh, when needed. And that's, that's kind of my take from that. Yeah, um, I'll talk about Kentucky. You did mention should Calipari be on the hot seat. I absolutely think he should be. Um, I think this is now year five or six of them not getting to a Sweet 16. Um, Obviously, it's 10 years or 11 years removed from that national title with Anthony Davis. The one-and-dones that he used to be getting have kind of dried up, and now it's one-and-dones that run over to the G League and then run over to Israel and Lithuania and Estonia and Australia to play ball. So. Yeah, Kentucky's Kentucky's kind of been they they're in they're in a bit of a pickle. I mean, didn't they sign him that lifetime contract? I don't even know what what that means. Um, is that just some recurring five year things? Like, if you have a lifetime contract, what's your buyout? <laughs> yeah, give me eight million a year for the next forty. What do, what do you say to that? How do you buy that out? Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. And I I he's someone where he's. I wouldn't call them perpetual chokers just yet because they had that run, but the last four years, they certainly have been. Um, and to the point where a program like that, where you need to start questioning um, his long-term future at Kentucky. Yep, completely. I mean, if you go, hell, if you go three months back, they didn't even look like they were to make the tournament in January. Right. So this is, I mean, they turn, they turned the season around good for them. They got, they clawed their way back up to a six seed and, I guess played a respectable game against what turned out to be a better team, but no, that was that is not the Kentucky basketball that we grew up watching, where John Wall, Anthony Davis, Cat, Devin Booker, the Harrison twins. I mean, That's list goes on. So, 80. yeah, list goes on. Um, they 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 definitely need to sit down and maybe rethink the philosophy there. But other than that, I mean, Creighton took care of Baylor. Indiana got blitzed by Miami, allowing 85 points. Gonzaga takes care of TCU. I mean, that was a crazy game. Should we get into the Michigan State Marquette game? I feel like that's kind of what's left to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you kind of start it off. Um, How do you want to even go about this? Do you just want to talk about the game? Do you want to talk about about what you like? So early on, great start. I believe it was 13 to 2 to start. Um, Yep. I got as high as thinking that this team was a national championship bound. Um, it felt like, granted, Marquette couldn't buy a basket. We necessarily weren't shooting the lights out. We didn't shoot well at all for the game. But uh, we were finding ways to get bat- tough baskets, and that was kind of the theory of the game. I actually thought Marquette played great defense in general. Uh, we just found a way to hit tough shots. Not three-point shots, unfortunately, because we missed a lot of easy ones of those. Um but we always it always found a way where it felt like Tyson or AJ were coming to the basket for a shot, or Tyson hit a mid range jumper, or we found Sissoko down low. Uh, it just kind of felt like we were always 
had our backs against the wall at the end of the shot clock and guys made plays, not necessarily great offensive, you know, play like design plays or anything like that, but guys making plays, which is what you need this time. of year. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, uh, there was a lot of late shot clock, a lot of, and this is kind of a Tom Izzo thing that maybe irks me a little bit is that he's so slow or offense is so slow to develop. I mean, we'll spend the first 18 seconds of the shot clock just dribbling around the three point yep. line. And it's like, Hey man, like, we got to attack at some point. Um, but no, it was it was such a weird game because you said we we started on that colossal run. We could have been up by 20 if we made a little if we made some of our three point shots and the ref show didn't take over at the end of the first half. Um, but it was one of those where we were up by let's, let's call it an average of six points for most of the game. Yet at all times, I was sitting there biting my fingernails, almost kind of thinking, oh, we're the ones who need to come back. It's just like. We were really in control the entire right. time, yet it never felt like that. Maybe it's because we were the seven seed playing a higher seed. Maybe it's pre- the ghosts of previous tournaments. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way the game went. But I, there was something weird about how that game felt, considering we were up the whole time. Um, well, it, it's because we were really uh, – we were up. But there were some lead changes in what? Maybe in the second half, we got it up to – outside of under maybe two or three minutes we got it up to maybe five at the most yeah I'm, I don't so know. it really was not it really wasn't like we were in control necessarily so if you only trailed at two separate points in the game i think that's kind of control i mean we went down two nothing and we went down by a point later on yeah so i mean the defense i do want to highlight the defensive performance and performances um they held usc to 62 held marquette to 60 You've said for a long time those are the games they're going to win. If you start yep. playing a race to 75, you might not be winning those games as Michigan State basketball. Um, Malik Hall, who is greatly regressed on the offensive end, is huge on the defensive end. It is an absolute surefire, needs to be on the court at all times guy because was it six eight? Our best defender can can pretty much guard any position. Guard all five, yeah. Yeah, he, he can go two, I'd say two through five. I don't know. If, I don't know if I want little 5'8 Marquise Nowell running around with him, but, you know, Malik, Malik he's, he's a fantastic defender. I mean, Hogard played well. Madi had a very good game. Great um, game. He had a couple of weird moments where he left uh, his defender on a switch and they yeah. got some baskets and Izzo yelled at him and you thought social media would explode again because Izzo's yelling at a player and you can't do that anymore. But, um. Great second half, we'll say. Yeah, no, great defense. He had the, the blocks at the end. Um, I mean, we talked about guard play a lot. A couple so – some interesting stats. Tyson Walker still doesn't have a turnover yet in this tournament. Um, that's huge. And that's with him possessing the ball for yep. a good chunk of that game because Hogard was in foul trouble. Yep. Uh, you had – I mean, you had Hogard creating not – I think he – I I don't think he had a turnover in the first game. I think he had a couple in the second game. But – it's just been it's been a fantastic Michigan State vintage uh, kind of tournament yeah. so far. We couldn't buy a three point shot in that game, yet we scored sixty three points off twos and like free throws. That's amazing. The free throws yeah. got better noticeably from USC to Marquette. I think yep. maybe there's still a couple that we would like to put down, but um, the biggest thing for me was I was a huge fan of how Izzo actually let Hogard play through foul trouble. That's something where I thought maybe he might overcoach himself and start overthinking. It's like, Tom, he got his third foul. He, I think he sat him down till the under 12-minute break, and then he didn't come out for the rest of the game. Yeah. And that was huge because Hogard's one of the two players we have who can create a shot for themselves or for someone else right. off the dribble. Um, he, I, I, know, I know, again, I just said Walker's probably the – is someone who can create, but I do think Hogard is a little bit more comfortable on the ball and a little bit more, mm. I don't, maybe press resistance, not the right word, but he's just, I feel safer when he's dribbling around and kind of setting up the initial, yeah. the initial offense. Um, One thing uh, you speak to the Izzo over coaching and we've, we mentioned it when we were watching the game, how he kind of loves to find, uh, weird players to go out in weird situations or important situations. Um, I'm going to make two points off of that. One is the bench is on. He, he only played seven guys. Uh, 
correction. He played Trey Holloman for one minute and 15 seconds. So he played seven and a half guys. So he know, he's done a good job of not overextending the bench. Yep. Uh, Kohler didn't play at all in the Marquette game. Not saying that's a good or a bad thing because he is probably our most talented offensive player down low. Um, but it's been Carson Cooper and mostly as an addition to Sissoko as a defensive threat, mostly because of his length, in my opinion. I don't think he actually provides anything special, but he's been a nice plug on both ends of the ball. Interesting that he was kind of the third fiddle of big men. Um, now Izzo using him as the second big man off the bench. Interesting to use that in March. Maybe that's a matchup thing he liked with Marquette. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I also think, I mean, Cooper had that kind of nice run against USC in the first game. And yeah. I think maybe that was just a nice reward saying, hey, we're going to ride the hot hand as a backup. It's a backup five. You you took advantage. Go. Um, but again, it's one of those where good players, but maybe we'd rather not see them on the court for too long in the nicest right. way possible. Right. <laughs> keep Madi out of foul trouble. Keep him down low, blocking shots, grabbing some rebounds, and getting on the end and getting on some backdoor cuts for layups and dunks. Yeah. Outside of that, um, we've now held Boogie Ellis to six points in the Big East Player of the Year. I think it was Tommy Kolick or whatever his first name is to seven points. So that's again two phenomenal defensive performances on teams with a clear star player. Um, I mean, do we just want to go into a preview of Kansas State? Because I think it's a yeah. very winnable game. Um, it's a very winnable game. They yeah, match it, up pretty well, I think. Yeah, in Madison Square Garden, it's one of those where you kind of live for moments like that as a player, um, the, the quote-unquote the mecca of basketball. Um, I think it's also a better matchup than Kentucky would have been. I think Shebway would have bullied us. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, K-State's K- K- got Marquise Noel, who's probably been the player of the tournament so far. I think, mm-hmm. he's, I think he's one of two players in history to have 40 points and 20-plus assists in his, first, yeah, in his first two games. But he is – short he is someone that if it's not hogard because maybe maybe hogard's too slow, slow to stay in front of him it's Jaden akins because Jaden yeah. akins is twitchy jumping around i mean he he's an athlete so i think we've got the matchup for him and then malik hall on keontae johnson yep. i think we have players that can directly line up and say i'm gonna look at your face and you're not getting by me so mm-hmm. It's, it's I think just got to be a continuation. If if you've done the things that, or they do the things that they've done defensively the last two games, this shouldn't be any different matchup wise. Yep. I mean, Vegas is Vegas has us as a two point favorite, so they clearly know something. Um, and the last thing is, I guess the only thing I could ever possibly change about how we played those two first games was, please make a shot. Yeah. <laughs> please make a three pointer. <laughs> Uh, I think it, I, I mean, it's easy to say this when one of your better players doesn't have a good game. Um, but Jaden Akins needs to be a lot, needs to provide a little more offensively if we want to beat the Kansas state. I think, um, it's, it's clear to me that even though he's a 40 plus percent free throw, three point shooter, uh, teams, both USC and Marquette in the tournament, uh, clamped Hauser. They're they're getting off of ball these ball off ball screens we give Hauser for that catch and shoot three. I think the scouting report is well out on that. It's gotta come down to Jaden Akins as a second option from three. Yep. Um I, I completely agree. He you you say that AJ Hogart is the worst eighty plus percent free throw shooter you've ever seen. I'll turn mm-hmm. that around and say Jaden Akins might be the worst forty plus percent three point shooter I've ever seen. Yeah. He's he's as streaky as they come for shooting. Uh, I I like there's been games where he goes four for five, and then you see the Marquette game. I think he was zero for four or five. There's not really an in between with him. A little Gabe Brown. <laughs> yeah, he kind of has that similar. Yeah, Mister Streaky himself. Yeah, and similar stroke too. I mean, uh, Gabe Brown was. Yeah, the lefties coming kind of a little little off to the side. I mean. Listen, we've played at Madison Square Garden before. We'll have familiarity with the baskets. Let's get out there. Let's get a dub. Let's set up an Elite Eight game. Have we played there twice? What? Haven't we played there twice? Probably. I mean, can I just say one thing? Could you imagine Rick Barnes coaching against Tom Izzo in the Elite yeah. Eight game? They would both lose. Whoever whoever wins the other region that's supposed to play us in the Final Four would just have an auto bid to the title because those coaches right. would be like, no, nah, I don't want it. You can have it. <laughs> 
No, you can have it. No, you can have it. It'd be it'd be amazing. Game I think that game. I I I'll be honest. I I root obviously. <laughs> I don't. I think I speak for everyone when I say I I I do hope that Florida Atlantic somehow pulls that off. I don't think Tennessee is a very good matchup for us. Yeah, I think I we mean, match up better with Kansas State than Tennessee. Probably. I'm just kind of saying. I mean, you know what the other thing is, we, and we kind of we're not on the same arc, but we kind of deserve that Michigan run from 2018 where they didn't play higher than a six seed all tournament. <laughs> we deserve one of those. I, I want an 11 seed in the final four. Is Princeton the 15 seed in Alabama's region that we would face? Yes. In the, uh, I want Princeton in the final four. I don't know, Alabama. To talk about a number one overall seed that has looked every bit of it. They look uh, – they're the 1-1 one, one seed that's came out to play after one week. And I know they had probably the best matchup, 8-9, with the Maryland game. Yeah, I mean, Maryland um, is a trash team. Uh, but everyone else struggled, clearly. Yeah. No, I mean, Maryland's just a trash team. I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. Who, who does Alabama have? Is it – uh? Uh, Creighton? No, that would be the 2v3 side. So they would have, uh, not Virginia, San Diego State. Oh, I mean. That's a win. Probably, yeah. So, yeah, there's our there's kind of our March Madness recap, I'd say. Let's save. Uh, I don't really want to do another preview of the Sweet 16 like we did with the first round. Because no, we don't. There's less games. I'm not going to say less exciting because it's still it's higher level basketball, but it, it's less madness, you know? The the second yeah. weekend is the second weekend is really the true contenders show up. You get the Cinderellas in the first weekend running off adrenaline, and then basketball comes into play, and it's like, oh well, there's a reason why we're in the Ivy League, or there's a reason mm-hmm. why we're FAU. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it's the worst thing to happen for those teams is is this this week. Yep, gotta go to class a couple times. Forget forget what you were doing. Get back on the bus, and you're like, "What are we going?" Do you know? Do you? Th- I mean, Princeton. They probably did. Princeton. They probably did class right after the game. But uh, <laughs> do you think they do class this week? I, like a Michigan State does because they were in Columbus. Like they were back by dinner time for. I would assume that they do get all. I mean, all of these teams are that are far away from campus probably flew, and they are they probably went to class on Monday. Like online class. Oh yeah, some some Zoom stuff. You know, okay. take take a test with your uh, your student people that they give you. I don't know. So they yeah, I'm just saying they weren't in class. Like maybe MSU was like yesterday, but I'm assuming MSU flies out tomorrow to or to maybe even today to MSG, and they're they're as far as travel goes, one of the better schools. I guess when you when you say it like that, I kind of forget that you do have to travel to the next game. It's not something that's on campus and like you you roll out of bed at like 10, 10 a.m. and it's like oh cool, I gotta go to the Breslin in an hour. You're right. Yeah. That's fair. Maybe they, maybe there was no class for these guys. Maybe it was come home, have a film day, practice on practice on Tuesday, and then get ready to go. Get ready to bang on Saturday or Thursday. Hey, Thursday into Saturday, Saturday we're going out to Harsons Island, watching a game out there for the Elite Eight for right for the Final Four with some some alcoholic beverages flowing through the system is going to be very exciting. What is Harsons Island? It's by Canada. Oh, cool. Yep. I don't have anything else to say. I'm gonna for me, whoever made it this far, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this last weekend as much as we did uh, to you. Uh, let's hope the madness is every bit that this weekend that it was last weekend. Bye guys. Bye.